Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Welcome to another beautiful day here in the bluegrass. Uh, I actually was thinking about that uh, as I prepared uh, the sermon this morning. I I was thinking about the great uh, C.S. Lewis classic line, uh, Witch in the Wardrobe, where where he talks about weather and he talks about darkness. And there's a, if you're familiar with the story, you know there's a famous line that says, It is winter in Narnia, and it has been ever so long, always winter, but never Christmas. Of course, if you're familiar with that story, that's meant to teach us about a long stretch of season where it doesn't seem like things will ever change. It's just short days, long nights, dreariness. Uh, Today's weather helped my illustration just a little bit. Uh, You know, yes, we have had Christmas in Lexington, but I do kind of feel like Mr. Tumness when it comes to the winter of 2021. Uh, It is long, it is dark, and it Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight. And if you're anything like me, I could use just a little bit of encouragement as we continue through this season. Uh, I don't have to tell you all the reasons why we could use encouragement. You know that. Uh, We do have an ongoing pandemic that seems to get stranger, uh, even though we hopefully are moving in a good direction. We have political unrest that seems to continue on and on and on. Uh, We have a lousy basketball season where we actually celebrate when games get canceled. Who would have ever thought that would be the case? If you think that's bad, be a Tennessee football fan for a couple days. I'll show you depression like you've never seen. But then, of course, just the reality of the pain that comes with living in a broken world. Personally, corporately, like the loss of loved ones, like our brother Mark Binkowski, who passed away last week, and just the distinct hurt and pain that this pandemic has brought us, and not even to mention the normal various trials and tribulations that we go through. So as I prayed about which passage uh, of Scripture to preach from this week, as Robert's taking this week off, uh, Isaiah 61 kept coming to my mind, because what we see in this passage, and I hope as you heard as I read, that there is a movement of God for his people from all time, That even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of pain, that God is moving his people in the direction of goodness. Yes, there has been a curse ever since Genesis chapter 3, but also since Genesis 3, there's been a movement of redemption. And I, for one, just need to be reminded of that. So my prayer for us this morning is that the Lord would lift our hearts with his encouragement. What he can do for our hearts, what we can't do ourselves. So I have two points for you this morning. These mostly come from verses 8 and verses 10. Uh, First is 
the foundation of our encouragement, and then secondly, the application of our encouragement. I'm going to spend all but all of our time on point number one and then just one quick verse of application on point number two. But first, the foundation of our encouragement. Uh, This section of Isaiah reveals God's good plan for Old Testament Israel in spite of their ongoing unfaithfulness. Again, as you heard these words read, that there is this theme, though, that there's hope in the midst of brokenness, where we see something that has been damaged has a future. There's a picture of captives being set free and gladness coming instead of mourning. It's a direction of goodness. Ultimately, there's a comparison here of the people of God uh, to a strong oak tree. If you're familiar with South Lexington, have ever been to Veterans Park and seen the, the the great oak tree there. It's this picture of strength and durability and comfort of knowing that you can count on it year after year after year. And that's a picture of what the Lord is doing in his people. You see, Old Testament Israel provides both a historical background for our faith, but also a picture of our journey as we follow Christ. If you notice in verse 8, you get a picture here of our foundation where you see God's character revealed by that which he loves and that which he hates. And it's nice for him to reveal this to us. You see, the Lord loves justice. That means he does not want you to be mistreated. He does not want his people to be mistreated by this curse. He hates robbery and wrong. He is on the side of those who have been wrongly treated. He's opposed to evil. So we see here that these people that the Lord has created and loves, he wants them, he wants us to prosper in his way, in his goodness, and in his time. In spite of their sin of Old Testament Israel, which had been great, in spite of the brokenness of the world in which they and we live, which can be awful, his overall direction for our lives is moving us in the way of his goodness. But I think the ultimate foundation of our encouragement is best revealed here in the latter part of verse 8. And that is, quote, God will make an everlasting covenant with them. This will have direct application on us and how we practice our faith. But I've heard it this way, that the best way to think of an eternal covenant is it is a relationship of blessing that never ends. A relationship of blessing that never ends. God's choice to give goodness forever. There's a beautiful picture here. Uh, If you think about the nature of a covenant, you study that throughout scripture, you'll see that whenever God enters into a covenant, it's always his idea. It's always his initiative. It's always his plan. It's his design. And it's always good for those who are his recipients. It's a relationship in which a superior partner guarantees to care for the inferior. Again, this text in Isaiah 61, calling this an eternal covenant. You could read this elsewhere in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. This is the same covenant that's often referred to as, quote, the new covenant, which is the fulfillment of the entirety of the Bible in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's here inside of this covenant that we understand everything that is true of us. How we read our Bibles, how we worship, how we participate in the sacraments. 
This is our Christianity in that we are inside of his covenant. This continuation of God's redemptive work until Christ returns is our faith. So understand this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have believed upon him, if you have confessed your sins and received what he has promised, then you're part of this ancient, mysterious, supernatural, biblical, sovereign relationship. It's so much bigger than any one of us, but yet it belongs to each of us. God initiated through Jesus' sacrifice and made it available by his spirit for us to enter in to be the recipients of this covenantal relationship. Throughout the chapter of Isaiah 61, I want to highlight three aspects of our relationship inside the covenant that I hope will be encouraging to you. This is in no way exhaustive. We could talk about the subject forever and ever. I want to mention three quick things that I hope will be encouraging to you as you press on and journey on through uh, these unusual times. First thing to notice from verse number one, that the words of this covenant are trustworthy. I, I don't have a better way of stating this. If you don't believe that this covenant is good, consider the words and life of our Savior Jesus. Go back and look later today if you'd like. Read Luke chapter four. After Jesus was baptized and his earthly ministry began, he entered into a synagogue in Nazareth, and along with other passages from Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 61, verse 1, saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled. Meaning, this eternal covenant is what I am about. This promise of God's redemption is what my entire being is about. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. These words of Isaiah are now flowing from the lips of our Savior. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, this is the blood of the covenant. So please, whatever you're going through this morning, ever how this world has affected you, would you consider just for a moment everything that you know to be true of Jesus? His character, his ministry, his words, his love of the poor, his love of the destitute, his care for the lost, his seeking the lost, his patience with the confused, his patience with the wayward, his love for his enemies, his prayers for his people, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He's the fulfillment of all of this. These are his words. So you can be confident this morning you have not been forgotten by your Savior. Whatever you're facing, these words are trustworthy. You're inside of his covenantal relationship to you. Be encouraged with that first. But now secondly, we can be encouraged because it's true, but notice, uh, notice what is true of us inside of the covenant. These words reveal just how important we are. They the words reveal our importance. Uh, there's a universal leadership principle. Will and I have been talking about this. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you don't know your role in life, you're going to be discouraged. This is true in every single institution. It's true in a church. 
It's true on a basketball team. It's true in a business. It's true at work. It's true in a family. If you're unsure of your calling, if you're unsure of what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to struggle to remain engaged. And if you're not engaged, it won't take long until you're bored. And when that happens, despair and depression are just around the corner. And when those kick in, we are in a dangerous place. And I fear this morning, often in my own heart, I fear inside the body of Christ, that this is often true of us. If you, if you study the context of Isaiah's day, God's people had rebelled against his law to the point they no longer cared about their privileged status as being God's ambassadors. They just wanted to enjoy this created world so much they no longer cared at all about why they existed. Thus, they lived as blind refugees, confused, hopeless, just hoping to enjoy another day. But notice God, because of his commitment to this eternal covenant and his ultimate care for his treasured possession, his people in Christ, his movement toward us. Look back at verse 6. He says of these descendants, you will be called priests of the Lord, and they will speak of you as ministers of our God. Did you catch that? We as followers of Jesus have a title. We have a role. We have a responsibility. We have a calling. It's a high calling. The destiny of these unfaithful servants exiled in Babylon is that their future descendants in Christ will resume the task in which Jesus now enables us to do. And that is to be his priest and his ministers all over the face of the earth. Here's what a priest does. A priest is someone who serves the Lord by praying and sacrificing for other people to the glory of the Lord. By praying and sacrificing for others. So understand this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, you're someone's priest. You have a task. You have a role. And you are hugely important. You're someone's priest even this morning. And when you do this, Jesus will be honored because it's what he's been doing his entire being. So here's the deal. I... I can't promise anything good out of Washington, Frankfurt, or anywhere else. I can't. You can't either. Uh, I can't promise anything good out of Wall Street, but it should be an interesting week. But I can promise God will honor your prayers. He will honor and use and bless your sacrifices. I can also promise that you will struggle in ongoing discouragement if you have forgotten what your calling and task in life is about. So Christian, this morning, I can only ask you this. For whom are you being a priest today? Who needs your prayers? Who needs your finances? Who needs your phone call? Who needs a reminder that God loves them? Who needs a COVID-friendly visit I don't know, but I do know you are the people. We are the people engaged in this task. Please see this morning, you're important. You should be encouraged by the fact that you're engaged in what God has called us to do. 
You see, this isn't the time to retreat. Now is the time to pray, to fast, to serve, to give. You might be thinking, that sounds like work. I thought we were just supposed to hunker down. No, no, no. I'm saying, yes, this is work. Meaning the Lord has called our number and we are now engaged in the game. You're valuable. Yesterday, as Will mentioned, uh, we had a memorial service here in the sanctuary for Mark Minkowski. It was uh, exactly what a funeral should be. It was sad. It was very sad, but it was also uplifting as we were reminded of our future with Christ. But here's something I know for a fact because people communicated with me. People prayed for that service. People prayed for Ruth, that she would be ministered to by the Lord and her family. People prayed for the worship. People prayed for me as I preached. I don't know who all prayed. I heard from a few people, but I can tell you this as a fact. We felt the prayers of God's people. I can't explain it. It's mysterious. It's mystical, but it's real. It's real. I could feel the effect of the prayers of the priest of God's people on earth. Do you see the power which we possess when we are engaged in doing what God has called us to do? Every single one of us has this. Be encouraged this morning. You have a high calling. So a covenant brings encouragement because of the words Jesus spoke. This covenant brings encouragement because it makes us participants. But lastly, be encouraged Because these words form our entire identity. Look back at the second half of verse 10. Quote, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see again, these unfaithful refugees will have descendants who will be clothed and covered. Not in anything they could have created on their own, not in anything they could have imagined on their own, not in any religion, not in any type of effort other than the fact that Jesus and his blood would provide our covering and that covering would then identify us as righteous. Understand, if you're a follower of Jesus, then your identity this morning is the righteousness of Jesus. You cannot be more righteous than what you are because Jesus' blood defines it. So therefore, how we look at each other is to be the same way the Lord looks at us. How we look at ourselves is to be the same way the Lord looks at us. And when God the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his Son. That's what we can promise. That is ultimately the source of our encouragement. Our bodies, our souls, our futures, our finances, whatever it is, we're covered by the blood of Jesus, and that blood produces his righteousness. Now, it is how we live, it's how we move, it's how we have our being. You see, this covenant is supernatural. It takes wayward, injured, disinterested people and transforms us into kings and queens inside of a kingdom. You can't be more special than what you are this morning. That's what Jesus says. His relationship to us is our foundation. He is eternal, and so are we. This pandemic does not define us. 
Our deaths do not define us. Our finances do not define us. Jesus does. And he's righteous so we can be encouraged. So I simply ask you this morning, how do you apply this truth? The foundation is that we live inside of a covenant with Jesus. How do you apply that? I'll give you one quick thing. Look back at verse 10 in our passage. And it's all I have for us this morning. Because Jesus is true, may we apply the first part of verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. May that be our story this morning. That we are people that rejoice that the Lord is real and he is God. Will you, in the midst of who knows what all types of circumstances you will face, will you with your mind, with your body, and with your soul rejoice that God is the Lord? We're not going to find encouragement if we only focus on everything that's wrong. We can be encouraged when we emphasize what is real. And that is Jesus is on his throne and he declares to us we are his. So this morning we come to this covenantal mill. We come to this table to be reminded once again, week after week after week, that Jesus is our hope. Church, may we be encouraged today. Let me pray and ask that the Lord would prepare us to come and feast with him. Father, as we have looked at your word this morning and have thought about your covenantal promises, Lord, there's so much that we don't know that we could be overwhelmed. Oh, remind us afresh, I pray this morning, of what we do know. That what we know is, Jesus, that you have fulfilled this covenant. You have made promises to us, and you have declared that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. Oh, Father, remind our hearts again now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.